The Irish Rally Podcast is brought to you in association with Tech and Tools, PFT Travel, SCS Productions and Rally Connection. Williams, welcome to The Whole Person by the Irish Rally Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you very much for asking me, Tony. It's a delight to be here. Um, yeah, it's odd being on the other end of, of kind of an interview scenario, but I'll do my best. <laughs> we were just laughing at that. Yeah, it must be such a funny experience for you to actually have the roles reversed now. Yeah, it is. I, yeah, I've... I've actually done another interview today with with a lady and I did end up interviewing her at one point. <laughs> God, what am I doing? <laughs> I don't know how to answer questions about me because it's not I know. me. <laughs> and it's one of those things too, like whenever your day job is just, it's, it's as intense as yours, you end up being the person that just slips into their job all the time. Yeah. Um, it just goes to show you though how second nature it is to you. It is second nature now. I mean, I've been doing it a long, long time. And yeah, it's completely second nature to start interviewing people, to start discovering more about people, because that's, you know, my general interest is another person rather than myself. I never, you know, when I started this career in, in motorsport, in motorsport broadcasting or in sport broadcasting, just it was never about me. It was always about the other person and still is. Um, so it, it is odd then to, you know, be interviewed. I, not that I can't do it. I can, <laughs> I can't <laughs> myself, uh, normally, you know, it takes a couple of gins to talk about myself, but you know, we're early evening. So I'm on the squash tonight. You've got a great <laughs> Bex this evening. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, that's actually a beautiful segue in really, because, I was just explaining to you that the, the format of this um, series is to kind of jump straight in and not give um, a formal um, introduction to who I'm talking to. And when I say jump straight in, it's 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 straight into childhood and your upbringing and stuff. And with all that being said, I mean, were you always that inquisitive interest and in character, even as a kid? Yes, I, I definitely say I was. Um, I always liked... Yeah, I was I was inquisitive and my parents found, gosh, this is years and years ago now, they found a tape, um, which they, they my dad still had a tape recorder and he put it in to, to find out what it was. And it was this very sped up kind of just gibberish and they managed to slow it down. And it was me and my cousin that we, we were pretending that we were BBC breakfast presenters and, and we were interviewing and I must have been six seven maybe younger than that and and I was interviewing her and I wanted to find out all about her life and she was pretending to be this movie star um but so yeah I would say I was always very inquisitive about other people and yeah places as well I I, I don't know I was I was quite a and yeah in my childhood because I was the youngest of three children I was, I had two elder brothers, but they were quite a bit older than I was. So I didn't have, you know, kind of siblings to play with. I was very much, you know, kind of on my own as a child mm -hmm. in the house and, you know, left to your own devices. Then you become, I think, more inquisitive, more 
probably um, more creative in your mind with things to do. I read a lot as a child. My mother couldn't keep up with books because I was just going through them so quickly. So yes, inquisitive, definitely a good word. <laughs> and did you find that, you know, it, like it was very specific, I suppose, to be interviewing your cousin, <laughs> you know, like the actual, and like the, the, the format of interviewing is incredibly interesting. Like that even at whatever age you were saying there, like six mm -hmm. or seven, that you were actually taking on that like role of a BBC presenter. Like that is so, yeah. it sounds like you always knew what you wanted to do. Yeah, when you when I say it like that, it does, doesn't it? But I, mm. the truth is that I I really didn't know what I wanted to do, and I think it's I think it's very difficult, isn't it, when you're when you're growing up to know what you want to do in life because it's such it feels like when you're in school and teachers are asking you, you know you need to you know think about what you want to do with your career and you think I oh, I don't know what I want to do with my life I don't know who I am let alone what I what I want to do with a, you know a career as such. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't have any idea, I'll be honest. I didn't have any yeah. idea what, what I wanted to do with myself. And at like, again, at 16 or 17 years of age, to be sitting in a school trying to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And as you rightfully say, you don't really even know who you are. No. Like, would you ever have imagined your life looking like this? No. No, if, you know, the me now could, you know, go back to my 16-year-old self, it would be like holy shit, it's nothing like you ever imagined it was going to be your career because it's completely different. Um, I never imagined I would travel the world. You know, I didn't leave the country until I was, oh, let me think, probably 20 was my first, you know, wow. jaunt on an airplane because my parents were, you know, both, you know, working class people, uh, there wasn't a huge amount of money around when I was younger. We went on a holiday every year, but always in the UK, always in Wales. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we never went abroad. And of course, the big thing in the 80s with lots of people was, you know, flying abroad, going here, there and everywhere. Spain was the big destination. And I, I didn't miss that. And I never was jealous of my friends who, who were doing that because I loved our, our holidays at Barry Island, which is now being made famous by, you know, Gavin and Stacey. Um, I loved all of that, but, you know, we, we grew up, um, yeah, kind of not, not experiencing all of that. To, so to, to then as a career travel so yeah. much, um, I could never have contemplated that, you know, going back and saying to my, to my younger self, you'll be traveling, you'll be on a plane every two weeks, maybe every week, unheard of and and to be broadcasting to be behind a microphone talking about motorsport no <laughs> I know no and I mean no one in my family was, drove yeah, that's no, no so one in my exciting. family drove motorsport wasn't something you were like brought no. up with even no no I mean you know <laughs> since I've been working in rallying I've met so many people who have the family history is motorsport, you know, it's it's through their blood, it's in their veins, it's, that's what they've grown up with. And then a lot of people then assume it was the same for me, and it's totally the opposite. And I'm, I'm glad to say there are some rally drivers in the same vein as well, mm -hmm. who had absolutely no motorsport in their family. But I think mine's slightly different in the fact that nobody drove a car. My parents didn't drive, my mother could drive, she was taught to drive by her father. And she used to drive like little vans around when she was younger, but she had no inclination to then 
go and pass her test and, mm-hmm. and actually be a legal driver, <laughs> not an <laughs> illegal driver in the mountains where we lived. Um, my dad didn't want to drive. My elder brother had no interest. And the brother just above me, he learned to drive maybe a year after I did. And there's 10 years between us. And I passed my test when I was 21. Wow. So, you know, he was in his 30s when he passed his test. But I was fascinated by cars. And my grandfather gifted my brother an old car of his. And mm-hmm. it sat outside our house for years. And he never drove it. But I would go and sit in it and, you know, play the steering wheel and be like, gear stick. And in my mind, I can remember thinking, how do people know? How do you know when to change gear in a car? Because I didn't have a huge amount of experience being in cars, it would just be in friends' cars. You know, I'd watch as whoever was driving would be changing gear and I'd be like, but how do they know? How do they know when to move this gear stick? And the whole mechanics of cars fascinated me. Mm -hmm. But it's like I had no outlet. I had no way to explore it. Um, and I'd been to uh, one rally when I was younger mm-hmm. that my brothers had taken me to. And then, you know, motorsport, kind of like it is in Ireland in a way, you know, it's it's, it's also big in Wales mm-hmm. and big here. So, you know, you're, you're aware there's motorsport around you. Um, and I think probably through my brothers, through that experience when I was younger, watching sport, my family was very into watching sport not into doing sport but into watching sport yeah I saw a lot of it on the tv and back in the day you know we were lucky that we did have rallying that was on television um a motorsport that was on tv and you kind of that's how I other than the first experience I ever had that's how I became a fan of motorsport let's Uh say and it really developed from probably late I would say because I remember being in university and following um, McRae's first um, WRC victory via the likes of CFAX and Teletext and and all of those tools back in the day that you had to had to use and then watching a week later the the program that went out on BBC (laughs) and how much it's changed since then. Like it must be such a fascinating thing for you to think of those memories and to think of of what you do now and, and how you kind of helped blaze a trail for us to be able to be sitting at home in Ireland or Wales or whatever it is and for the event to be happening across the world and for us to see it in the moment. It's, I, well, I, that's a very lovely thing to say. It's very mad to think that I'm part of it. It is because following rallying back then was so difficult. It was so difficult. And, you know, my friends had no understanding of what it was. Some of them still don't. <laughs> to be fair um some of them are still like what do you do for a job I don't understand (laughs) (laughs) although one did listen to my backstories podcast a couple of weeks ago and messaged me to say I've listened to my first ever podcast I was like oh wow it's gonna be true crime or something and I was like which one your one with Michelle Mouton what a woman she was (laughs) This girl has no interest in motorsport at all. But and I was like, wow, that that's I'm, I'm impressed by that. But yeah, Amazing. Back in the day, there was there was nothing. And it, now it's great because there are so many outlets that are doing so many different things with motorsport. Yeah. Technology's moved on so much that you can you can broadcast events in in various different ways. It's thank God. <laughs> I know it truly is incredible. When you think back to your days where you had to check the tally text and call it to see what was going on. Yeah. 
<laughs> I can't remember what the page number was now, but I know other people do remember it heart by heart. But that's how you did it. And, you know, there used to be a phone line in the UK that you could ring as well, especially around Wales Rally GB time. There mm -hmm. used to be a phone line you could ring and you could get the rally result. Goodness knows how much they were charging oh, wow. per minute to listen to that. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and so back in those days, Bex, when you were at uni and you were kind of chasing um, the results and figuring out how Colin McRae and those guys were doing, mm. do you think that kind of spurred you on to get the license and to go for the driving le lessons and stuff whenever you were 21? No, I don't think so. I don't think it did. Um, I was fiercely independent, still am, but I was, you know, fiercely independent. and I knew I wanted to drive as soon as I could. Um, I would have learned to drive as soon as I got my provisional license, but we just simply didn't have the money to be able mm. to have consecutive driving lessons back then. And I would never have, you know, pushed my parents to to say, oh, this is something I really want. I really want to do it. If, you know, if the money had been there, they would have done it in a heartbeat, but it wasn't. Um, so I remember, I remember being in uni and starting to learn to drive there in Exeter, <laughs> which is, you know, I come from a small town in Wales, learning to drive here probably would have been a lot easier than learning on the city centre streets of, of I Exeter. know um but you know that's where I learned to drive and I kind of funded my myself to 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 get the lessons so my parents helped out a little bit and you know I had part-time jobs and everything when I was mm -hmm. in was in uni to make things work and and that's how I did it I wouldn't say though that the whole rallying thing inspired me because I had no inclination to be, you know, a driver. Yeah. <laughs> I knew my limitations pretty early on. <laughs> that fascinates me though, Bex, considering how much detail you used to put on, like whenever you were sitting as a passenger watching. Yeah. Um, because that's what I did. Um, yeah. I was just like, look at their hands. What are they doing? What are their feet doing? What pedals? What What's going on? Yeah. And how that has never, even in all of these years, how you just haven't been like, do you know what? I'm going to get behind the wheel for a minute here. <laughs> do you know what? If I had the opportunity, I probably would because I love driving. I, yes. I do love driving. I, and I love, you know, I love feeling the response of a car, you know, to, to, to the way I'm handling it. I know when it's happy. I know when it's not happy. I would love to do it. But there's never been that burning passion in me that's gone. Oh, I, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go and do this. One, I'd be a little bit worried that I would be throwing a car off a road very quickly because I'm <laughs> one of those people who is can be pretty confident up to the point of stupidity. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd be very worried that I'd be in a ditch very quickly. You know, you, I'm. I'm I don't know where this has come from and I wish there's it's this part of me I wish I could change but you know when you're kind of when someone challenges you to do something mm -hmm. and it, it could be like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna jump further than you or I'm gonna run faster than you and I'd be like no you're not I'm gonna <laughs> you with that and I'd have absolutely no experience in in whatever this is but I would still in my kind of cocky mind go I'm gonna challenge you to that and it's I've fallen on my ass quite a few times <laughs> but it still doesn't stop me saying it every time <laughs> and that definitely I suppose when you think about rally cars that um not knowing the limits I suppose is not uh it's not no. a it's not a pleasant combination whenever you're sitting no. no and I mean I you've sat be, on you've had the I, opportunity I would either to be I would either be that crazy person in the ditch or I'd be way too slow and it would yeah. be embarrassing 
thinking yeah, yeah, I don't think it would be a medium <laughs> yeah because for like it is funny but basically like you are either going to push too far and obviously be in a ditch or you're going to think to yourself no I can't be in the ditch I you know there's too much at stake here I want to enjoy the rest yeah. of the stages or I don't want to wreck the car and so as you say you'll pull back and you'll yeah. end up kind of doing nothing but um you've been a passenger um in some of probably the most fantastic cars out there has yes. that ever tickled your fancy even no um I didn't even want to be a passenger even I, and I know this is going to sound really really stupid considering the job I do and how much I love rallying but because I'm a control freak not being in control of a car I struggle with on a daily yeah. basis yeah. I mean whenever we go to events and you know we, we we have higher cars I'm always checking our call sheet to see a am I the driver b if I'm not who is the driver yeah. <laughs> because I do I want to be in a car with that person and it, it's yeah, the thought then of being in a rally car and not having control, not being able to to brake or whatever, stopped me going in a rally car for a couple of years. I'll yeah, absolutely. I think my first experience wasn't actually in a rally car. It was in a circuit racing car. Um, it was when I covered the British Touring Car Championship and it was the Ford Mondeo of um, Alain Menu around silverstone that was my first ever kind of co-drive wow. experience yeah it was what a very place. very cool yeah it was it was great i loved it i loved mm -hmm. you know it's completely exhilarating but also at the same time you got a bit of a nervous twitch look god because i love the speed i love speed but it's i think i'm sure you feel this way it's not having the control you know absolutely yeah, yeah, I mean, the way you describe driving is the way I would describe it. And so for me to be on the other side is petrifying. <laughs> like, absolutely <laughs> yeah. petrifying. I, I couldn't, like, I literally couldn't. I honestly do believe that navigators are next level people. Yeah, they're a rare breed. Honestly, there is something in their minds which, A, they're brilliant, but B, there's also something a little bit missing to be able to actually <laughs> sit next to someone and, you know, physically encourage them as well yeah, to go, go faster. faster. Yeah. come on you put down go on go on go on exactly it's it's <laughs> insane um but very interesting at the same time and it does fascinate me how people can you know people are so in love with rallying and are so dedicated to it but how it the itch just doesn't kind of come to everyone that like the love for the sport is genuinely there with or without yeah. the competing yeah absolutely. and that's so I've interesting thousands of people like that actually who really adore rallying but have no inclination to get into the driving seat or the yeah. co-driving seat and i think it's probably they are aware of their own limitations they enjoy the thrill of just watching that's that's thrill enough i mean i'm sure many people would would absolutely jump at the chance of of being driven by a world-class driver on yeah. a stage there's there's nothing quite like it 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 kind of really opened it opened my eyes in lots of different ways. I think, and the main one was just the control at mm. such pace of, of the car and minor things that they were doing, which were making such a huge difference. Um, yeah, but I've met so many people who were like, no, I, w I don't want to drive. I don't want to co-drive even, but I like watching it. And I love like, watching you know, it. I, I fall into that category. However, I have driven a rally car. Um, not a lot of people know this. I don't really talk about it much because it wasn't legal. <laughs> <laughs> I 
We say nothing. <laughs> so it's not something nobody. that's widely discussed. Um, yeah, it was a Peugeot 205 and it was late 90s maybe. And it was in some woodland not, not far from here that I had, um, I think I probably did about five kilometres in total in the car on a test road. Um, and I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But I know that I could never be a driver for the reasons I have already spelled <laughs> out. Uh, that is not where my talent lies. But I love the experience. I mean, that that is like I've just I've heard that so many times before where people just like they have notions of it. But at the same time, they just know that it's something that's not for them in the long run. Um, and I mean, you mentioned your talents there, and you you really do have such incredible talent, and within the within the role within the rallying world, do you feel like your your experiences sitting behind the wheel or sitting as a passenger did open your eyes a little bit further into like a different aspect of the sport, or just gave you that wee bit more of an inside information? I think it just gave me a bit more of an inside to yeah a bit more insight information and you know even more respect than I did have because I think you know I, I always have had huge respect for drivers and co-drivers and you know doing what they do and every time they leave a start line it's you know huge exhilaration fun and all the rest of it but it's hugely dangerous mm -hmm. at the end of the day every yeah. time they do that and I have a massive respect for what they do um getting into the car with Thierry also you have Hananen um, I saw it didn't really open my eyes any more than than the respect and knowledge I already had, mm -hmm. let's say, other than, you know, it, it, instinctively, you know, the, the instincts that they had, because we I was very lucky. You know, we we were in Rally Portugal and I went on the FAF stage with both of the drivers and I did that FAF stage six times. Wow. So I've done the jump a number of times. So I can tell you the correct line to take for that jump. <laughs> <laughs> but you you know you just it's the reactions of both of them and it was so different Thierry Neuville's driving was so smooth and calm in comparison to Yuho Hananen's very aggressive style mm -hmm. and you could really feel that in the car so if anything you know it was good to 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 be with two different drivers on the same day yeah to, to see the two different styles in action Amazing. Um, and I mean, those experiences by themselves are absolutely unbelievable in, in yeah. many, many ways. But if we go back a few steps to your college days again, or your, mm. we call it college um, in Ireland, but university days, um, you left, you in university you did um, media or something, it was media stuff, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was called a media arts degree with journalism. Yes. And I also as a minor did theatre because I loved acting. Mm -hmm. So originally, kind of growing up in teenage years, early teens, I was thinking, I want to be an actress. I want to go into the world of, you know, film and be an actress. And I, <laughs> I went to, we have a, a university here called the Welsh College of Music and Drama. It's kind of well-renowned here as, as the place to go if you want to go into acting. And I thought, right, I, I want to do a little bit of, you know, we had the work experience kind of options when we were... 15 or whatever and I, I wanted to go and spend a week there because I thought that's where I wanted to go and I rocked up there and it was very impressive and you know I was put into a class with obviously you know students who were 18 plus 
and they were all so annoying and so <laughs> infatuated with themselves and vain. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't be in this world. Yeah, this can't be my life. Stand these people. This is horrible. And apologies if any of them now are rally fans and happen to be watching this and, and remember the young ginger girl with braces who, who no fans are <laughs> But they were oh, they were so self-absorbed. I was like, oh no, this is not for me. And I think, I think honestly, that week really did tell me quite a, a bit about myself in that I wasn't. I never wanted to be the star and they yeah. all did and that was okay. what the difference was they were all about themselves on stage and me 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 and I was a bit like no no I'm far more behind the scenes person here uh-huh. and <laughs> I told the the lecturer this and he was like or maybe you want to have a look at like set design or something and I'm like well no you know you're not getting this but yeah whatever and yeah that 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 ended pretty rapidly so when I went to uni I had a couple like of months to think about what I wanted to do and I loved journalism I was a big news hound I still am mm -hmm. um very interested in what's going on around the world uh and I thought well maybe kind of a journalism part degree with with some filmmaking because I loved films I'm, I'm still obsessed with films all kinds of films yeah. English language foreign language silent films anything um, maybe I could combine the both somehow and I did this degree where you were taught how to to make films from the ba basics right the way to the top from script writing to Amazing. scene setting to editing to actually putting your your film together properly um uh that with photojournalism and journalism and the acting as well and i had a really interesting degree and i did lots of interesting things made films and thought this is the route i want to go down i want to be mm -hmm. behind the scenes i want to be making content being productive being creative which that was really my kind of creative juices were really flowing during this degree and I thought that that's ultimately what I wanted to do. <laughs> Getting into that kind of field of work is not easy. When you come yeah. back home to Merthyr Tidville, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> so how do I go about being the next Steven Spielberg <laughs> then? <laughs> what do I do now? So that was that was a challenge when I got back. And what did you do then? What was your next step as in heading out into the big world? The, the, the absolute very next step, I finished university on a Tuesday and by the Thursday I was working in our local chocolate factory because I mm. wanted to work. Um, I am not a kind of person who can sit on my hands and even though it was like summer after uni, you should be just chilling out. I was like, nope, I need to just start the process of earning yeah. some money because I've lost enough of it. <laughs> on this bloody course um so i yeah i went to work in our local chocolate factory made chocolates for four months i think Perfect and during job. that time i i had just the opportunity then because you know part of me felt like i'm earning some money i'm kind of starting on a ladder even if it isn't a chocolate factory it doesn't matter i'm still on a ladder work is work work is work I can look and, and try and find out how i want to progress with the next step without worrying that i haven't got any money coming in um, and I wrote to our, to BBC Wales, which is very big. BBC Wales base is, is very big, um, does drama, music, sport, um, you know, Doctor Who is, used to be made in, in Wales. So I thought I'll write there and, and see if they've got any opportunities, any, even if I just go in for work experience. So they said, yep, come in, come and have a week, come and work in various departments. So I went to the drama department, did a couple of days there. 
um, went to music, I went everywhere but the sport department. And then that week finished and I thought, what am I going to do now? Yeah. And I was very lucky in that um, one of the, the ladies there that I'd kind of encountered, she got my details and rung me and said, look, you know, we have a job as a researcher, three week contract. Do you, do you fancy it just working on this documentary? I was like, yes, I'll take it. And then that started to happen quite often. So once one contract would finish, another would start. Yeah. And so I worked in drama, again in music. I worked for BBC Radio Wales as a, and this was my first kind of stint in radio. I was working on a, I'm trying to remember what it was called. I think it was called Tutti Fruity. It was a game show and I was the scorer on the game show. So I would introduce the teams and then I would keep score as they went through Brilliant, this yeah. like pop quiz thing. And then all of that kind of kept going and I eventually ended up in the sport department. And honestly, it was like someone had just like opened a door or opened the curtains because it was like, this is amazing. You know, wow. rugby is a big thing for me. It's a huge sport here mm -hmm. in Wales. It's one of my passions. Not that I've ever played it. Again, I would probably challenge someone to <laughs> a ruck and a mall and I would be on the worst end of it. Um, but I've loved watching it all of, mm -hmm. all of my years. And sport has such positive stories. Um, and, yeah. it, you know, working in that department, it was energetic. It was dynamic. You know, it was of the here and now, of the weekend. Yeah. You know, live sport is... There's nothing quite like it. And I thought, I want to tell these stories. Mm -hmm. I want to tell the stories about these people who are doing these magnificent things because they're absolutely striving to be the best person they can be. And, you know, what's better than that? And, yeah, there's trials and tribulations along the way and missteps. But I think I want to be working in this domain. Um, and that contract, again, then came to an end and it was like, I can't keep doing this three week, three week, three week mm. thing. So I started looking for a sports agency in Cardiff. And this is where I would say the biggest luck came within my career is that I found one. And not only did I found one, <laughs> I found one that worked in rugby and in rallying. Wow. In the WRC. It was like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Someone must have been looking down on me that day. And I had the interview and it wasn't for a reporting job. The interview was for, it was a purely admin role, mm -hmm. but I was like, I want to just get in here and I'll, I'll move up. I'll yeah. Foot in the door. To do things. Exactly. I want to mm -hmm. get my foot in the door. And, and I did. And that's then when it started properly. And my, my love of, you know, sport in general, which had always been a love because we'd been like, I say, big sporting family, but not from the doing side, definitely from the, the watching side um, and rallying all came together as one. And I was able to continue where I'd kind of started with BBC and broadcast on mm -hmm. radio and continue that and the training that I'd had there. Um, and yeah, had a bit of a stab at being a reporter. Brilliant. It was in circuit racing first before rallying. And I mean, do you think that you know, you mentioned the, the broadcasting was obviously, you knew you kind of wanted to be there. And obviously, whenever it became live sport, you kind of just were like, wow, this is it. Do you think it was the like the adrenaline, the high pressure kind yes. of wow? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think a lot of people do really work well when, when there is pressure, high pressure and yeah. full adrenaline. I certainly do. I'm a total, can be a total last minute girl on lots yeah. of different projects. And I think... 
yeah, I think the excitement, is, it's that absolute buzz of, of live yeah. sport. And I was really then privileged to be able to discover it in, in like wonderful ways, working in circuit racing. And it was really like, I was like at the baby level. So I worked in the, I worked as part of British Touring Cars. Um, there were support races, Formula Ford and mm -hmm. um, the Ford Fiesta Z-Tech Championship. It had a much longer name than that. I can't yeah. remember the whole name. I remember. Basically, that. yeah. Um, and that's where I started my broadcasting career. And we, we would turn up at the circuit and it was all radio. So we basically contact as a as a sports agency we put out a press release saying you know we're going to be broadcasting from these events during the weekend mm -hmm. and then bbc local stations and independent radio stations would get in contact with us and say oh you know joe blogs is in car number 47 can you do us a 30 second radio report into our sports news on saturday like yeah so you'd have then this whole list so from about midday on a saturday till 5 p.m our hours were completely full and we do maybe about 20 broadcasts per hour for different oh, wow. stations with different people. So it was ram-packed high adrenaline, keeping everybody up to date. And Saturday was qualifying day, so there wasn't a huge amount to talk about. Um, and then Sunday on race day, it would just be like the big BBC stations and the big independents that would take your uh -huh. sports stuff. But it was always live into a news broadcast, you know, right at the end, they'd be like, right, we're going over to Silverstone now and Bex Williams, and then boom, you'd be on. Yeah. You'd have to talk for 30 seconds and then you're off again. And then Which, you're on to the next station. I mean, it is incredible. And when you think about it, like if you just think about the layout of that, it's not different to rallying or any sport really, but I think specifically rallying actually, because you're on, okay, you're on for the day, but you're on yeah. for such short periods of time, quick bursts, and then you have yeah. a break and then quick burst and then you have a break and you've got to have this like burst of energy and real hungry focus as well which is yeah. incredible it's a totally different skill set to sort of most humans i would say <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's very bizarre if you're just you're watching someone doing it and you know i i spent like one event just shadowing another journalist um watching how he did it and I was like, he's a bit mental because, you know, he'd be <laughs> he'd be sat there at his desk and just preparing. And then, you know, we'd have this piece of kit called a Glenn sound. You dial into a radio station, had his headset on and he'd be like completely normal. And he'd be saying things like, yep, I'm here, standing by, standing by. And then as soon as he'd start, he'd be like this, this firework of hands and he's talking like this. <laughs> and I'd be sitting back thinking, Jesus Christ. But he gave oh. me the best advice I ever had because he was like, you know, when you speak to these stations or when you're, you know, you're talking on the radio, just imagine you're telling your best friend the most fantastic story you've ever heard. Mm -hmm. You need to be that passionate. Yep. And he was absolutely right because you do, especially in radio terms, you need mm -hmm. to have that delivery which grabs someone but also gives them a huge amount of information as well. Yeah, without being so wordy that you kind of have lost you, which is an incredible yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I think... Yeah, you can get lost in, in lots of words and complicated words, but then you, <laughs> you lose half your audience if you do that. Exactly. And I mean, then, so you, you started off um, on circuits and touring cars and stuff. And mm -hmm. then, you know, moving into the world of rallying just must have been 
like a homecoming for you? It felt like I, I, you know, that's where I wanted to be. That's what I was aiming for. And my first event then was the very year that I started in the company. So, I mean, I worked doing kind of their admin for not very long at all <laughs> before I moved into reporting. So then we had to get another person to do that. Um, but it was, well, it was called the Network Key Rally of Great Britain then. And it was the, the British round in 99. That was my first WRC event. Wow. And Straight out of the deep end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your first rally. Oh, <laughs> let's just make it a WRC one. Let's yeah, not start yeah. with, you know, the Persia one make series or the British rally <laughs> championship. No, let's go. Let's go in WRC. In. We'll throw it right in. And honest to God, it was like it was a baptism of fire. Um, because you're surrounded, it's like being like a kid in a candy shop because Tommy Mackinnon had already won the championship that year. So yeah, I first arrived at Cheltenham Racecourse we were based at. I'd seen the focuses all go around the roundabout coming from scrutineering and you're like, oh, the martini livery focus. I know. Um, and then Tommy Mackinnon is up on stage. He'd just been doing some donuts and he's up on stage talking to the fans and there's so many people there and this buzz. And you're like, shit, I've got to tell people about this cross country on the radio. And you start realizing the enormity of the sport, not that you did in any way, but when you're in it, when you're there, yeah. it, it, you feel even more responsibility to get it right. Yeah. And I, rem I still remember that feeling that that whole butterflies, I feel sick, I just want to go home. But no, I don't really, but I do <laughs> yeah. feeling of oh, what am I doing here? Um, yeah, but it was it was a really fun event. But I was glad to see the end of Sunday because we were, I think there was about five of us all doing radio reports, and we were all completely like done come the end of it. Yeah. it was so so intense. And then you know it, it's gone. And I only did I did WRC that that event in '99. I did then it moved to Wales in 2000. So I did the Welsh round in 2000. 2001 British Rally Championship events as well during those two years. Yeah. And then in 2002, we started World Rally Radio on the WRC. Um, and from 2002 onwards, I've been full-time working. Which, which really and truly backs like the rally radio was a game changer for rally fans around <laughs> the world. Like, it, is, yeah. like, it was such an incredible bit of technology at that time. It was, yeah, and I was talking to um, to someone earlier about this, you know, she was asking me how has technology changed since you started and until now? And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know where to start here, because, you know, in 2002, World Rally Radio, we just had, I mean, we took an entire radio station with us. I remember it being wheeled into the airport, like these huge flight cases filled with with all kinds of equipment we set up in a little truck, part of the, the old silver WRC trucks that used to be in the service park. We had a little room in there, which was mostly equipment and we were just squeezed in <laughs> broadcasting because it wasn't really that much space. And we only had people in the service park. Uh, we, did, we couldn't have anyone at stage ends. The technology simply wasn't there mm -hmm. to be able to talk to drivers at a stage end because mobile phone technology existed, yeah. but Coverage. getting signal up in the mountains, I mean, okay, even now in some places, <laughs> it's know. still really dodgy. Um, but back then, forget it. Yeah. I mean, we tried all kinds of things in 2002 to get stage end comments and we didn't. It was only in 2003 that we kind of explored that a bit more, but you're right, at the time, it was the only way to follow everything live as much as you could, even though we were just yeah. giving out times and, 
and splits and interviews with the drivers but you could hear from them you could hear from them you know as the event was going on and they were fun times they were the first couple of events the first event in particular I don't think it'll ever leave me the the excitement but also the sheer terror of what was (laughs) about to happen because my boss Greg Strange who he didn't you know initially kind of come up with the idea of it and spoken to Chris Rawls, who was our technical director at the time, and then mm-hmm. spoken to me about it. And we were like, yeah, this could work, this could happen. And he said, yeah, we'd need someone to, you know, host it for the whole day. And I remember saying to him, well, well who are we going to get to do that? He was like, well, you, you're going to do that. And I was like, no, 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 I can't talk for 10 hours a day. I was like, I, I can't. And he was like, no, no, you can, you can, you can interview people, it'll be fine. And Greg was very much a throw you in the deep end kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He did it to me all the time, which was infuriating. But also, you know, when you look back on it now, it's like, actually, it was the best thing it was. He, could, yeah. he could have done. It does <laughs> work. Um, it did work for me. But I remember us all being so nervous before Monte Carlo got underway. And the first couple of hours, I'd say maybe four or five hours of broadcasting, we'd set up an email address, which was radio at wrc.com. That's ingrained in my brain the amount of times I said it over the years. Um, no one, no one was emailing us. We're like, oh, no one listening. No one listening to this. And then uh, Chris had worked out that he actually hadn't like kind of set up the email properly on his on his laptop and Brilliant. nothing had been downloading. So he's like, oh, I just, I haven't clicked this box or whatever. And he did. And it was literally thousands of emails from people Man. from everywhere. Just, you know, they were listening. Hi, I'm from Paraguay. And, and they were like, we couldn't believe it. We could not believe it. It was, it was really, yeah, it was quite a time to be part of all of that. And I mean, we yeah. had our ups and downs with it, gosh. We really did, but it was thoroughly enjoyable. I know. And I mean, so validating once all of those emails gushed in and <laughs> yes. you finally saw, okay, this is worth it. People are listening. What we're doing yeah. does make sense. People are listening. Exactly. I'm not just sat here desperate for pee <laughs> and I can't leave for nothing for hours. Sitting in this tiny little room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was such a small place we were broadcasting from first. It really was tiny. And we, how we managed to get three of us in there, I don't know. There was never a room for a guest. Like the wow. second presenter would always have to leave if we had a guest so I could interview. <laughs> <laughs> like that is, wow, like that is incredible. Considering now what, where you're at now, 20 years later and WRC all life, like the difference yes. is. And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking now because all I can remember was the story you told about when you were in uni and you could ring or possibly, you know, ring these phone lines to see if yes. you're doing what. Yeah. And now it's one click and we all have all the information we need. Yeah, but it's one click and you can be on a stage in a car with a driver. Literally. I yeah. mean, tell us that in 2002 that, you know, in 20 years, actually less than 20 years, this is going to be happening. And you'd be yeah. like, good luck with that, mate. We can't get bloody <laughs> mobile phone reception to the stage end, let alone be on board with the driver. Uh, it still kind of surprises me, even though... And technology does this. It goes wrong at times. And we all know now on all live when it goes wrong because people will message in and say, this isn't working, that isn't working. And for the most part, whoever I'm commentating with, we're in our own little bubble. So we never know if there's a technical problem at yeah. all. We're just alone with our microphones and the and the screen in front of us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my phone will start flashing. <laughs> I'll be like, what, what, why is this going so many times? 
and there'll be people saying, oh, there's a technical issue here, or we can't click on that. And you're like, ah, right, okay. And someone else deals with all of that, but of course, you're like the shop window for, yeah. for all lives. So people are going to contact you, which is totally fine. Um, but yeah, te technology is beautiful when it works. It's amazing. Oh, and yeah. I am still amazed by what we can do, but also when it goes wrong, you're a bit like, oh, God. I know. It's, it does, I think, I, particularly nowadays, I think we are so used to technology being so incredible that when it doesn't work, we're really, we're ready to cry, but we're also like, what is happening? How is this even happening? You know, we're able to do all these things and now it's not working. Um, <laughs> yeah. But one of the things, like, when I hear you speak, like, one of the things that, and I've mentioned this already, but, like, it, you clearly thrive on the high pressure and the adrenaline and the excitement of all of this um, crazy intense stuff that you are working on and that you're kind of working within. But, like, Bex, how do you chill out? You know, how do you come back to yourself in between all these events and all of this crazy exciting stuff? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually, because I, I find it very difficult to relax, to mm. chill out, because I like the momentum of of doing all of these events. And there was a period last year, I think I was away for a whole month, four weeks on the trot. This year, there's a period where I'm going to be away for five weeks, rally after rally after rally. And I'm really looking forward to it mm -hmm. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I love that. But I find it then hard when you come home and it's like silence after a whole weekend of just constant talk, talking from yourself but also you know we're doing you know what what people I guess don't see is when we're not commentating we're out doing more interviews or we're out mm -hmm. doing something for the the post-production show a feature needs to be filmed there's never downtime really it's very rare that you'll ever sit down with a cup of coffee during a rally day because there's no time Mm -hmm. which is fine. That's good for me. It's good for all of us because the more yeah. you're busy, the better it is. And we all love what we're doing. Um, but I think people genuinely think that once we finish commentating, we're like, oh, you know, pour us a cocktail, mate. I'll have a daiquiri. Thank <laughs> you very much. And as much as my, in my fantasy land, that is the way it works. It isn't. Um, so when I come home, it's very quiet because it's so busy on events. And then all of a sudden there's just this silence. And I like that for a day. But then yeah. after that, I need people again. I need, I need to, you know, to crack on with the next thing. I do find it very hard to relax. And have you any little, like, have you any, you know, sort of wee hobbies or things that, like, rituals that you have to do in order to kind of bring you back down to, oh, I'm home now. I'm not working. Okay. It's well, I'm, to... I'm very lucky in that my closest family, which is now my elder brother and his family, they live in the same street as I do. Mm -hmm. And he always looks after my house when I'm away. Uh, and he brings me down to earth quite rapidly whenever yeah. I see him. So there's never, ever any time to get anywhere above yourself in your head after an event. <laughs> Even if it's gone really well and if you've had loads of people going, oh, it was amazing, you were fantastic. I'll come home and my brother will say something really disparaging to me and you're like, <laughs> and I'm back to life. <laughs> This is really okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't I don't really have a huge amount of hobbies that I do. I like seeing a lot of my friends. Mm -hmm. Um I make sure I make time for friends. I am writing a book at the Amazing. minute. Um which is taking up quite a bit of my time. Mm -hmm. Um and other than that, 
I don't because there's not much time to do other nope. things. Yeah, like I was. I used to, and I still do, go to a dance class. I love dancing, mm -hmm. um, but you can't do it with any great frequency when you're away so much. So you yeah. miss you miss a week, you miss that week, and then you've missed all these steps. And I mean, I'm not the most coordinated of people <laughs> anyway. So then when you return, you're even worse than you were before. Um, but yeah, there's not a huge amount of time between all the mm -hmm. travel um, because I, I like to keep myself busy at home. We've got the, the Backstories podcast now, which has come yeah. back. Yeah. Um, just started up for series four. So I'm trying to do quite a mm -hmm. quota of those in the next few weeks. And I'm looking forward to, to doing that. I'd love to have some more hobbies, though. And it, that's a really great question. And now I'm even questioning my entire lifestyle <laughs> because I'm not a hobby. I need a hobby. No. What can I do? I'll that is not because, to be honest with you, Bex, like what I see is that like you are such a people person, like and people are your everything. And so whether that be chatting to somebody on an event or whether that be coming home and straight to the family, and that's the thing mm. that grounds you back into who you are. Yeah, no, definitely. I am definitely a people person. I like the kind of the day off on my own after an event mm. because I don't think it's the event that, okay, you're, you're working for a whole weekend and it's long hours. You're going to get tired from that. But it's then the travel that, that yeah. is the annoying bit of it, getting home and especially at the moment when travel links are rubbish and you get a bit annoyed by that and then you get in the house yeah. and you're like, oh, calm. And I like having uh -huh. 24 hours just to, you know, drink a lot of coffee. And, and not do very much but then yeah I need I need the contact of people and, yeah. and that's people. kind of that energy of other people is what kind of like lifts you up as a human being probably yeah no it is you're right there I, I, I find that because even when I you know when you've been home for quite a period of time and I always find this um like it's, you know when we went into COVID when we were locked down and that was the the most I'd ever been on the ground yeah. in my you know in the last 20 years that and must have been it, such a difficult thing for you then Bex like to be it able was weird I yeah. wouldn't say it was, yeah I wouldn't say it was difficult um because you know I would be lying there there's so many people who had difficult times do, during that period it wasn't difficult but it was weird not speaking to people and not having like you said the energy of other people around you um and you know my doorstep like many people's doorstep became a magic doorstep friends would come and leave things yeah. on it like and you know you talk to people from a doorstep and and not but not having them in the house or you know not being able to go out at some points yeah. it was yeah it was absolutely awful I wouldn't want to go through that again but yeah. in the same breath I thought I would get loads done in that period I thought I would learn language I thought I'd finally finish the painting in the house I did none of that absolutely nothing it wasn't exactly a productive time for me, and I didn't bake any banana bread either, <laughs> either <laughs> I, <thank God. laughs> I don't like bananas so I wouldn't have done that but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah and I mean it was one of those things you see this is the interesting thing about Covid specifically actually is that like a lot of people kind of some people not everybody now but some people were kind of cross at themselves that they didn't get so much done I had all mm. this time and I couldn't get this done but we were living under such bizarre circumstances like our brains were not operating the way that they would if we were at work because yeah. we weren't able to do you know we were scared essentially the whole time yeah and when your brain's afraid you're you know, you're not operating in that kind of space so to be able to just get through the day is is one of the major things but i would imagine in that space you also kind of maybe had a lot of inspiration come through as well for what you were going to do when you got back out on stages yeah. again yeah 
I, I think so. And I think we were lucky in that, you know, obviously it became very apparent very quickly, didn't it? That it was going to last longer than just mm. the two weeks that everyone initially thought we'd be staying in our houses. And, you know, our, our communications guys, our bosses at WRC were like, well, you know, we need to, you know, we need to do something. Let, let's do some, let's do some esports stuff. And I've been a massive advocate for, for esports over the years. And it was like, yeah, I've done some commentary on esports. Let's, let's create a little esports championship. And we did it with the junior drivers. We did it with some of the P1 drivers. And that took up a little bit of time as well. We, doing all of that from home, though, was quite bizarre with yeah. technology links and linking out to people, this, that, and the other. And, it was always, you know, you kind of dressed for business up top, but you got your pajamas on at the bottom, uh, <laughs> doing these esports commentaries. And I was pretty lucky in that time that we then started traveling again in the August of that year, the July or the August, I think it was the July. We had a, instead of Rally Finland running because it couldn't, they did a massive esports thing instead. And we flew to Finland for that, which again was quite bizarre to then be back on a plane in, in COVID regulations. But it was, I think it was a strange time. And I'm sure you're right that not many people achieved anything that they wanted to achieve in that time. But then you've got these other people who were, you know, moved mountains during this time off. And I'm thinking, why can't I have a bit of whatever you have in your brain <laughs> that makes you do that? I just want a little bit of it because I spent a lot of time. Actually, I started watching Netflix because I had it. But I'd never watched a single thing Brilliant. on Netflix until that time. And I was like, well, we, I'm paying for it every bloody yeah. month. And you Let mentioned me. your love for film as well. I mean, actually, you know what? I know. But it, because work had been so busy and everything, I just hadn't had time to even get into yeah. Netflix. Yeah. And the first thing I watched on Netflix was The Fall, which I think came wow. out in like 2014. Yeah. And I eventually got to it in 2020. <laughs> And I mean, that was a heavy one to start into as well. Brilliant. Oh, do you know what? Absolutely brilliant. But I, I had such regrets about watching that really late at night. And, and then Intensity. going to bed and then you're like, Ugh. I know, afraid to actually even close your eyes. Intensity is definitely your thing anyway. The high pressure scenario. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, I mean, it must be. <laughs> when you think, when you think um, back even over the last 20 or 30 years, like, can you put into words how rallying has impacted your life? Good God, that's a hell of a question. Well, it's been my, you know, it has been in terms of my work. It's been my every, it's, it has been my everything. It, it has impacted me in a, in a huge way because I have met so many incredible people through it. I think that's the one major thing I would take away from it. The sporting side, yes, it delivers for me every single time. I can walk away from what people might think is the dullest event, but I will have a story to tell that yeah. has been exciting. Um, but it's the people um, that I've met along the way. Because you're traveling, I think, together like a little family, like a little circus rather mm -hmm. than a family, um, you, you know, it's an intense period of time to be together with people. And we've been thrown into all kinds of situations. You know, there was um, back in 2010 when we were at Rally Turkey and the the volcano in Iceland went and decided to explode while we were away. And there was this huge ash mm -hmm. cloud and we got stuck there. And I traveled back on a bus with M Sport and it took us 65 hours wow. on a bus to get back from <laughs> Turkey to the UK. And we still talk about that to this day. 
Um, but you're you're in intense, you know, competitive scenarios with people. Mm -hmm. You see them through their highs, their lows, whether they be, you know, driver or co-driver or PRs or team bosses or, you know, the, the chef. You're all the same and, you, you know, uh -huh. you're all doing the same kind of thing and working towards a common goal in the rally. And I think the friendships I've made there, that's the best thing I and the, the most important thing I would take away from my time within WRC is some unbreakable friendships. Beautiful. And can you even like imagine a life without rallying at this point? <laughs> no, what your life no. could have looked like or maybe would have well, looked like? Well, I could have carried on working in the chocolate factory. <laughs> um, I could have because the money was really good there at the time. And it, well, that was quite a hard one to say, oh, I'm going to oh. leave you now. Um, Definitely wouldn't have any teeth left, though, because <laughs> you could eat a lot of that stuff. Um, and you know what? I don't know. I don't know what it would have been like if I hadn't gone down that whole sporting route and mm -hmm. gone down the rallying route. What it would have been like, what I would be doing. I'm very glad I did. I'm very glad that, that mm -hmm. you know, life steered me towards this path. But I still kind of reinforce I would never in a million years have dreamed of this. Uh -huh. for myself or even conceived of it as a job I'd be like some of my friends are now with I'm sorry what is that exactly that you do I mean I sat next to a plane uh, next to a plane next to a woman on a plane <laughs> coming back <laughs> from uh, Raleigh Mexico she was really lovely American lady she must have been maybe in her 50s and she was asking me well, you know why I'd been in Mexico so I explained I said I've been you know I've been working on a rally I'm a rally commentator and she was like, wow, that's so impressive. So you're paid to protest. You pro you commentate <laughs> protests. <laughs> no, as I <laughs> no, rally is a mo it's a form of motorsport, and we had to go through the entire thing. And I showed her some videos on my phone, and she was completely blown okay. away. But she thought I stood there with a placard and you know. <laughs> commentated on protests happening <laughs> wow that is incredible she even asked me what are they what are they protesting about in mexico <laughs> jeepers like that it just goes to show you like the the word rally means such different things to different people doesn't it yeah it does and it you know what again after kind of going through america on mm -hmm. the way out to mexico and then we had like a little holiday after after the rally and we met some americans there because it was spring break it's amazing how much they don't know about rally at all at all at all i mean it's mm -hmm. just you know some of them were just yeah they understand you know they know what formula one is but mm -hmm. they're not even that interested in that it's all you know nascar yes but rallying they didn't have a glimpse of what it was i know and that's that's disappointing incredible it is incredible to think that it's something that is so important to us and literally our whole lives and then other people just don't have a clue yeah. what it is and I mean you've mentioned that the most important thing or probably the biggest impact that it's had on your life for kind of like the friendships and the relationships that you have now mm -hmm. but that's within the sport where everybody understands each other and, and we all have yeah. this common um, love but have you ever found it like an isolating an isolating thing because like that when you're when you're in the bubble everybody knows what everybody like we're all together but when you go outside of that bubble to the outside world, like a lot of people don't know what it is. Have you ever found it like isolating or lonely? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. But then I'm a very, 
even though I spend a lot of time on my own, I'm not a very kind of lonely person, I don't mm-hmm. think, because I make I make the most of any kind of situation that I'm in. Um, but I, I know I don't think it's it's not, not not felt isolating. I totally know what you mean, though. Mm. What I found is the understanding. And I think that's been one of the not it's not a frustration. It's too big a word to say it's a frustration. But, you know, from family and friends, not at the start, certainly really not understanding what I did. Yeah. And then, you know, really getting like my parents got a real understanding for it. And my mum, bless her, before she died, she would always be listening to the radio. And she'd be one of the many people who would text me going, the radio isn't working. Radio, fix the radio. Because <laughs> <laughs> she sat at home in the kitchen just just listening to it. But, you know, yeah, even now there are people that don't quite understand what I do and think that I love this. This is my best friend as well. She's a nurse. So she, you know, she has a very valid job. She does good things. <laughs> uh, but she says to me, um, she'll text me every day. You know, what, what are you up to today? And I'll say, oh, you know, I'm working. Well, I thought you were a lady of leisure. And this is only a couple of weeks ago, mind you. I, I'm not a lady of leisure. I do, I, you know. <laughs> One of the most intense <laughs> jobs in the world. <laughs> Yeah, but I suppose, yeah, I mean, for her, when I'm away and she, you know, my family all call it. And I, you know, I went to see my hairdresser today and she was like, have a nice holiday. I'm like, I'm not going on holiday. Yeah, you are, you are though, aren't you? You're going to Croatia, still a holiday. You're like, oh, come on. Once there's an airplane involved, we're all going on holidays. I know, I know, that's it. And I think that that's, it's not a frustration, but it's a little irk when people always kind of refer to it as you're going off on your jollies yeah. or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, I'm going to a great country, but, you know, you are going there to, to do some work. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I've spent my life trying to prove this. To <laughs> I do do work, honest. <laughs> I know. And I mean, it's like, it's one of those things where, it, that's what I mean by the isolating thing, where you just don't get it unless you love rallying. Yeah. Because this is the thing. This is what this is probably the whole idea behind this series for me, really. Like, is figuring out. For me, I genuinely believe that people that love rallying are different. Like, there's people people that love in a good sport, and a bad in a good way. way. <laughs> but like, people that are dedicated to a sport obviously have you know have big dedication and big you know drive within that sport or whatever but i feel like there's something so different about rallying that genuinely there's there is genuinely something different about us and whether it be i i do think it's the format of the event itself because you have to be so committed whether it's yeah a competitor an organizer a spectator to get into your car and go to these places in the middle of nowhere or onto an airplane where people think that like you're going on your jollies as you say like when really like no that's like you've no idea how how hard we work you know um and for me the big question was like what came first you know it's like a chicken and an egg scenario for me is it did our love for rallying kind of mold our personalities into being this way or do we have certain types of personalities that because we operate this way, we just adored rallying? Yeah, that's that's a really deep question. I don't know. That's, I mean, for me, I think some in some ways rally has molded me into the person that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's given me lots of kind of tricks and tools for living my life, the way we operate on events, I think. Certain, I suppose there's a certain discipline 
to, mm-hmm. to the way we work. And that has helped me in life. But also, I think from my side, I'm, I've always thought of myself as a positive person. And I get that then repeated back to me by, by lots of colleagues, you know, you're the most positive person here, or, you know, we get a nice energy from you. And I feel that bringing that into the into our team certainly sometimes and into the sport itself it does help because there are long hours and people you know people can in whatever role they're doing again it doesn't have to be the competitors and it doesn't have to be us in in tv you can go through lulls of feeling quite really down by it because the hours can be long and if things aren't going right in your sphere in your personal section of work then you do need someone who is quite positive to be yeah. able to bring you out of it because you're spending a lot of time away from home, so away from your comforts mm-hmm. and you're in a foreign country and maybe work isn't going right. Maybe you've crashed the car. Maybe you've read a wrong note if, if you're in the competitive field. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think that's why I like having and I'm, I'm really proud to have some you know, great relationships on the rally with the people I work with, but also the competitors, because mm-hmm. I have a huge respect for them. And I see that reflected back at me as well. And there's a there's a trust zone between me as a journalist, because that's you know what I am at the end of the day. I am a journalist, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm I think a lot of drivers and co-drivers know that I would never do them wrong in reporting anything negative against Mm -hmm. them because i have a huge amount of respect for what they do yeah i'm not a sensationalist i will tell a story the way i actually see it the way it is hopefully and not dramatize things yeah exactly and for me i mean for me it is one of those things like to again like going back to this podcast it's the story you know, there's the, the mm. stories within what we're doing is actually what genuinely what, what makes the whole thing worthwhile. It's the human aspect of the sport. Yeah, I think in anything, absolutely in anything, but maybe more so in this because the longevity of the, the event itself, because we're, you know, for the competitors, they're away for a whole week. I'm away for, from a Tuesday to a Monday. You're spending a huge amount of time with with a lot of people. And for, for us, for my job, that is to communicate that entire thing to everyone around the world and to get everyone to yeah. understand that it is the, the competition you see out on the stages, but it's so much more than that as well. And, you know, there, there's a common gripe. I, I see it occasionally, um, you know, on social. Oh, we haven't got any characters in the sport anymore. And I, I always think that's utter bollocks, mate. It, we have got characters. Yeah, They're right there in front of your face if you care to look at them. And I know that those people in 10 years' time will be going, oh, we had great characters 10 years ago. <laughs> and you're like, oh. uh, you know, I've, I've been here for a long time now, so I've seen this across social media. I've seen yeah. people talk like this. And that frustrates me that um, a lot of people can look back to the past with rose-tinted lenses and it was better then. The cars were better. The drivers were better. They had more character. I'm not with them. No, I mean, <laughs> in any is... respect. But that, exactly. I think that's it's something that's to do with my person. Yeah, it, but I am always a forward-looking person. I mm. don't like to look back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, okay, you can have nostalgia for, for things, but I, I don't like the constant comparison it's like enjoy where we are right now in in all aspects of what we're doing, not yeah. just in rallying itself. 
make the most of what we've got right now and enjoy yeah. everything we have right now. And that's uh -huh. what I'm always trying to do on every single event is is big up the people, hopefully show the characters. You know, it can be very difficult because <laughs> these people are professional athletes. Yeah. You know, they are competing to win. And when things don't go right and they don't want to talk, that's part of their character. Yeah, exactly. And it's part of the human nature, you know, <laughs> yeah. more more so than anything. Like, and for me, I suppose, like, for me, it's so interesting. Like, because I gen my theory on it is is our, I do think that with rallying specifically, our I think our personalities kind of are there, and then we find rallying. Like, I do think that it's kind of we, you know, in one way or the other, we find it whether it's kind of fallen into it within a job. Um, mm. or whether it's, it's, it's your, you know, you've grown up on it and it's your life to a certain extent. Um, because you do have to be a very specific type of person. And I think for me anyway, over the years, what I have noticed is that there is a very can do positive attitude within rallying people because you, you just, yeah. you couldn't be there. You could not <laughs> go through the weekends work, uh, whether it's in the car, on the stages or you know in the commentating box like you couldn't be there if you didn't have the belief and the stamina to be there for a full weekend like. yeah yeah stamina is a good word i think um <laughs> it's funny because i've had i've had some great co-commentators across the, the past couple of years you know when covid is kind of oh, still there but it's you know it's stopped our restrictions now we're able to have other people in you know back mm -hmm. who were outside of our bubble before so I've had Marcus Gronholm as a co-commentator, Julian Ingracia, Juhar Kankinen has come in, and Mads Osberg has, has, has been with us as well. Uh -huh. <laughs> they all say to me, when we've done, like, if we've done just one stage or if we've done two stages together, they take their headsets off and they're like, how do you do this all day? How do you do it? How do you? And Marcus Gronholm is like, I, I didn't say very much. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> You know what to say, but some people take a, you know, like a little bit of a prod, whereas you, Hal Kankin, and didn't stop talking. It was fantastic. But a lot Brilliant. of them are like, God, you know, the, you know, I could turn to Marcus Gronholm and go, well, how come you're so fast behind the wheel? I don't, exactly. I don't know. You know, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we have strengths in different things. Yeah. And, you know, like, that's the, the entire beauty of it. Yeah, the skill set is there. And I think it's just kind of part of life is to find that, you know, peel back the layers and to find where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and I think, to be honest with you, you know, from listening to you, Bex, like genuinely, it just seemed to be there for you the whole time because like, you know, trailblazer comes to mind, obviously, because you're a female in the sport and, you know, females in the sport, like they're few and far between, but not so much, not just that. It's more that like rallying wasn't in your background. Like you were the first person to get a license um, in your family, you know. The proudest thing in my life, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's huge. Like that is that is fully blazing the trail for the family. Like, and, you know, as you say, like, like your brother ended up doing it, your older brother ended up doing it after you, like, which is huge. And then, you know, you've done some amazing things with your career in terms of being the first um, or being a part of a team that was the first to do something. Um, and I, like, I personally, whether it's talking about, um, you know, WRC all live or going back to, finding videos of yourself interviewing your cousin at seven years of age <laughs> like you know the personality was there like it was it was written in the stars really um for me anyway listening to your story 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I kind of feel I feel very much at home where I am, you know, with what I'm doing. Yeah. And I have done for for a very long time. I felt at home. Um, you mentioned the, the whole, you know, the women in motorsport and being a female commentator. And I'm I'm really looking forward to the day when that is not so unusual mm. because it, it is still um, there aren't so many female commentators. There certainly aren't so many female commentators in motorsport itself. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm glad to have been the first for an, for a number of things, but I don't count them in my head. And, mm. and I don't think, you know, I could sit here and probably reel off about five or six things that I was the first female to do. Yeah. I'm not going to do that because yeah. it's not important to me. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that element isn't important to me. And I don't see myself any different from my male commentators or my, mm -hmm. you know, my male broadcast journalists. I have always wanted to just be the best that I can be regardless yeah. of whether I'm male or female it, it's never mattered to me and I've you know we both you know we, we're privileged that we can grow up in a place where we haven't had restrictions placed on us as yeah. women as such we can mm -hmm. you know go to school we can go to university we, we can do you know what we want to do and my parents were always fantastic with that you know they were you know do whatever you want to do there was never mm -hmm. a you must work you must do this you must do that they would just let me do whatever i i wanted to and i i know they were very proud of of you know what i eventually went on to do um and i i i count myself kind of lucky every single day doing this job because mm -hmm. i do love it i do feel at home i do hope it'll go on a, a few more years at least i can um, imagine well. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. There, there are other things certainly I want to do as well, mm -hmm. but I'd like to do them as well as doing this because it would feel very alien to not do it anymore. Yeah. And you not yeah. have that, not, not, not be checking split times or who's on an entry list <laughs> or what stages are they using this year on that rally? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's in reverse. Okay. That, it would feel so strange if that all disappeared. But I'm well aware of the fact, and I think as we all are of anything now after COVID, things can just stop. Yes. Um, and you're not in control of that. So also there's a part of me that's like, okay, if it does stop, then I've enjoyed it. You know, I've had yeah, exactly. over 20 years of it and it's been it's been brilliant. So pretty philosophical. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> <At the> moment. <laughs> and, until until that. it would stop and then you'd be like, oh my God, it stopped. <laughs> oh no I absolutely adore it and I mean because one of the things that I'm always very conscious of when I am speaking to um, other women within the sport is like you know you mentioned um, you know all of the firsts that you have done as a woman and mm. I, I, I can guarantee you that I would I would be able to kind of list down all of the things as well that you've you've been yeah. the first to do because I am so um, aware and always in awe of what people are able to do for the first time and obviously within the sport it's women a lot of the time but I'm mm. also aware of the fact that I would love there to be a day where it's not a thing where we're not talking exactly. about the fact that women yeah. are oh it's you know you're a woman in the sport yeah it, it, it will be great when we get to that point where because you're there for the job that you can do you're there for your passion mm. for the sport and your dedication and your motivation within your job and your ability and your skill set um whether you're co-driver driver organizer whatever you know um and it it is it is going to be a beautiful day when we get to that point yeah it hopefully it's not too far away i mean it's it's still you know when i say to people now i'm a motorsport commentator well even if i just say i'm a commentator it's like 
Wow, yeah. female yeah. commentator. <laughs> well, we do have voices in a voice box, and I can put some <laughs> words together. There are other bits and pieces as well. I don't know if they help, but uh, what's interesting is that we had some uh, young people last year when I was in Rally Spain and hosting Meet the Crews. Um, we had um, a family who were kind of some VIP guests mm-hmm. and they brought their children and they were seven and nine. Nine-year-old was a boy, seven-year-old was a little girl. And family were explaining, you know, what I did. And, and the boy just went, wow, he was like, your job's so cool. So, you know, you're a commentator and you do this, you do that. And the little girl was like, I would really love to do what you do. I would really love to do what you do. But there was no, you know, because they're young. Yeah. You know, anything is possible. There was no exactly female commentator. Yeah. How is they're this not possible? Conditioned yet. Yeah, they're not conditioned <laughs> yeah. into well, what exactly. it is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and that, that is a beautiful it. thing. That is a beautiful, it is a beautiful thing. thing. Like, and that is why it is so important that the faces and the voices are there for kids yeah. because they won't know any different at that point. You no, know. and I think, you know, to have, you know, I think more women in and in in the sphere of everything in motorsport, you are we are seeing it. But it's like as if it's being like dripped. It's glacial. (laughs) Glacial pace is a really great phrase. It is glacial. Um, When I started, there was one other female journalist um, who was a regular. There are more now. Um, There are more female mechanics in the service park. Female co-drivers seem to be going through a real time of it right now, (laughs) which is fantastic. Sarah Fernandez, double world champion in ERC and got Rita Hamelainen. Uh, WRC two champion is you know they're there um and uh, you know what you it's you you get to a point where like I I don't want to have to say um oh wow look it's a female co-driver you know I just you just want it to be equal that's all it is at the end of the day you just want it to be a bit more equal but I think some women behind the wheel <laughs> i know that's the next step um but i'd say they're coming to be fair because as like as you mentioned co-drivers like that that's just that does seem to be the norm now which is absolutely incredible to see it, it truly yeah. truly is um bex one more question for you this is actually probably my favorite question oh what is God. your favorite motto or do you have a motto for life <sighs> I don't know. I kind of do, I guess, because I always say on, on New Year's Eve every year, um, I never make any re- resolutions at all other than um, to enjoy life more. It's, uh, you know, th- that kind of thing. It's yeah. I can't think of the exact phrase that I use now, but it's just, you know, to, to keep enjoying. And, yeah. and that for me is it. I mean, so many people, I, I feel, waste their lives working worrying and not actually enjoying you know anything about their lives at Uh all and I over the years you know my kind of reasoning uh, for for wanting more happiness more enjoyment has grown and grown and grown because I've nursed two parents through very serious illness and Mm -hmm. and lost them both and you have this horrible pain in your life and this loss and this grief which you know, could have kind of put, put me one of two ways. I could have gone down a really horrible path and, and spiralled into, you know, desperate grief. And, you know, part of me did that, I think, a little bit after my mother died, because for the months after it, I can't tell you what happened on any oh. events. I was just into an autopilot, go do the radio, yeah. come home. 
there was there was kind of nothing there and then you know you you kind of pick yourself up and realize that I want to enjoy every single moment that I'm here yeah. whether I be doing this job whether I be doing anything and celebrate friendships and that's why I spend so much time with my friends every time I come back I make sure I am you know getting on the phone to them texting them let's meet up let's let's go for lunch let's go for a walk let's do this because I love spending time with them they they're now my you know my family that I've chosen because yeah. you know my my parents aren't here anymore um and I yeah that, I think that's the motto for me is just to continue to enjoy life enjoy more be you know not be happier but just enjoy it was a word my mother always used to use whenever any of us would go out she said you know go be safe enjoy yeah, and it, enjoy. it stuck with me because we don't enjoy life enough I like I think that's beautiful and particularly the fact that it play, pays such homage to your mother and your upbringing and your childhood but mm. it is one of the things you know we've mentioned high pressure environments so many times because that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what rallying is but if you think about that, you know, you could get very carried away with the pressure side of it instead of actually sitting back and thinking, wow, what I am getting to do here is actually brilliant. And no matter what shit might be hitting the fan here, I am going to really just still savor the moment and enjoy the fact that I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for me anyway, it works because, you know, you can... Christmas and New Year's always a bit of a difficult period, I think, for, for many people, whether they get on with their family or they don't. And certainly mm -hmm. for me, you know, with, when you lost family, you're a bit, it can be, a, you know, a bit of a melancholy time some days, some hours. And then you're looking immediately to a new year and you want to kind of make yourself positive with these words. And but it's not just I'm not just saying it as a this is, you know, oh, I'm just saying it because it's New Year's Eve. It's truly what I want for myself every mm -hmm. single year. Yeah. But it's funny you should mention that kind of, you know, that high pressure, that, you know, adrenaline kind of environment. You've just made me think of of moments in work where I, I'm loving my job every single day. Whatever I do on, on a rally, I'm loving, even if it's pissing it down with rain and I'm stuck out interviewing people in storms, which has happened so many times I can't tell you <laughs> I almost got trench foot at one rally one year oh. um but there there are moments where you know and it, it's happened more recently in the past few years where I've not only been commentating on all live but I've also done what we call the world feed so commentating on the power stage and other mm -hmm. live tv broadcasts which is what I do regularly on ERC as well as all the mm -hmm. all live commentary um, but when you do it on WRC, it's such a massive thing because the audience is huge and everything is live. And you have on, on a power stage, you have 18 minutes of pure script that you've written yourself to be yeah. able to get through to all these time segments. And honest to God, I don't think my heart has ever <laughs> pumped so hard as when that WRC music starts playing in my headset I and I know the juggernaut is about to swing and the show is going to start and I have got to go through all my, you know, my script and time it perfectly and get everything out. And there's been so many occasions where I've fallen over my words and <laughs> almost, almost said shit when I was trying to say seat and it came out as <laughs> sheet. Oh, it was a nightmare. But those moments, even though like I'm thinking about them now, I love that. Yeah. That huge adrenaline rush. And it's really hard to explain to anyone that doesn't kind of broadcast because the pressure is just on you. You are mm -hmm. the voice of the entire championship Yeah, on, on this program and you've got to get it right. You yeah. can't bugger it up. 
Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be a complete mess. I love those moments. That's the kind of thing I, you know, you live for. It's like, I guess, for you, like being on the start line. I know. And that and whole it, countdown. Exactly. And I mean, but it just goes to show you, like, that, that you truly are where you're meant to be because so many people could not thrive in that in that environment and like you thrive in it like and I, to be fair Bex, like to be very very fair like you know your motto I can clearly see that you actually live it because um like you can hear the passion and the excitement Good. and the enjoyment every word you speak like and I mean that's exactly that's exactly why you do the job that you do you know and it's one of those things where again instilled at a very young age like where you were always told don't forget to enjoy it and you still are um yeah and i'm for one i'm very very grateful because we get to enjoy the events with you because you're enjoying them so much <laughs> no that's a very lovely thing to say thank you um oh no honest to god it's um it's such a pleasure listening to you and it's been such a pleasure talking with you um today and i genuinely thank you so much for being here with us um we're going to end it there i could honestly i could talk with you all evening but um i have to let you get back to your busy schedule uh but honestly bex thank you so much for being with us on the whole person you're welcome thank you very much the irish rally podcast is brought to you in association with tech and tools pft travel scs productions and rally connection